for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. I don't know if you're like me. I love Oreo cookies. There's, no, there's something about pulling that dude apart, and those two hard, crusty sides, and that really good, gooey center part. And, you know, but I'm not one like just, some kids, you know, they'll just take the gooey part out and they'll leave the, the cookie parts alone. Not me, man. I'm, I'm all in. I'll do, the, I'll do the gooey part, and then I'll eat the crispy parts, and I'm just in all the way. But I, I don't just love Oreo cookies, I, I, I love Chinese food. Did I hear an amen back there somewhere? Huh? <laughs> I love Chinese food. I love the Ohio State University Buckeyes. I love the Cleveland Browns. I I, I love music. I love science fiction. I love my Mac. I love my iPhone. I love my iPad. I mean, I, I love reading digitally. I was never a reader before, but you put one of these in my hands, I love reading. I don't understand it. Don't give me a, like a, a paper-bound book. I don't know what to do with that. But I, I like this. I, 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 I love all sorts of things. And oh, yeah, I almost forgot. I love you guys. I love my kids. I love my wife. And of course, I love Jesus. But suddenly, now that I've thrown Jesus, my wife, my kids, and you guys all into the same ball as the Cleveland Browns and Chinese food, something seems really cheap, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Suddenly it lost its pop, right? Like Aaron just put his wife in the same ball as General So Chicken. You know what I mean? If, if, if I don't understand love... If I misunderstand it, if, if, I, if I misplace it, if I, if I misinvest it, then suddenly the ramifications are horrendous. I mess up lives and I mess up families and I bring defamation to the name of Jesus. I have to be really, really careful. And now my guess is that some of you uh, love all sorts of things. I mean, if, if we would replay the paragraph I just read to you, it'd be very different. So we have to be sure that we value really what God says is valuable and devalue what God says is unvaluable. And we have to, we have to do that. We have to recognize how love really operates. If I, if I take that paragraph, I'm sure for some of you, it would have things like this on it, all right? Probably have things like shoes. I love shoes. I love booze. I love fishing. I love hunting. I love ministry. I love recognition. I love accomplishment. I love fitness. I love money. I love ice cream. I love pizza. Because your list isn't that different from mine. I love coffee. Nothing like a good hot cup of dark roast in the morning, man. I'm just telling you. And don't put any of that trashy stuff in it. Drink it straight up, hard, black, steamy. That's what I'm saying. Huh? 
We got to recognize love for what God says it is, not what we think it should be, not what the culture says it should look like, not what our friends and family think it ought to be. We have to recognize love for what God says love is. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is what we call the love chapter. If you go to a wedding, you're probably going to hear at least a, a quote from there, if not a good portion of, of the chapter read. The funny thing about it is there's nothing contextually about 1 Corinthians 13 that has anything to do with marriage. Does it? Now, a commentary I read said this about, about this chapter we're about to look into today. It's a pity to dissect this gem or to pull to pieces this fragrant rose, petal by petal. Fortunately, Paul's language here calls for little comment. So what are you doing up there preaching? I don't know. I'm not as smart as Paul, but God put this in my heart, so I'm going to share it. It is the language of the heart. Harnack says this, the greatest, strongest, deepest thing Paul ever wrote is what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 13 today. Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. The strongest, deepest thing he wrote is what we're about to read today. So if I were you, I'd get my heart open, my ears open, and I'd pay attention. The crux of this chapter, where pictures of the New Testament says, is love is the way par excellence. And I almost sound like I could speak French. And I can't. The context of 1 Corinthians 13 is this. Paul writes an epistle to a church in a town called Corinth. That's why it's called 1 Corinthians. And this church, this is one of the longest epistles Paul writes. And the reason it's so long is not because he feels good about them. It's quite the opposite. He's correcting them. This is a church in chaos. They have lost sight of what really matters. Their services seem very spiritual, but it's chaotic. He, he, they, 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 their lifestyles, they, they have a form of godliness, but their lifestyles leave a lot to be desired. In fact, they allow certain kinds of promiscuity among their ranks that he condemns them for. A man sleeps with his father's wife. Don't know if that means his mom. Many believe it was a stepmom or something like that, and they're okay with it. Not only was, was, was that part really messed up and goofy, communion became a debaucherous moment. They would come to the communion table. He has to correct them. He gives them, gives them directions about what to do, and they would come and they would feast. And because they used wine for communion during that time of, of this church in Corinth, they would come and get drunk at the Lord's table. And right in the middle of all this, this chaos going on, Paul puts this wonderful chapter in the middle of, of it. Beautiful piece of literary work. Because God wasn't concerned about their ceremony and their duty. He was more concerned about their heart and their motivation. That was the biggest thing to God. That's why we have the apostle write about these things. See, what we have to do is we have to do this. God's high value of love demands that we change our values, that we adjust our values. God places a high value on this commodity called love. And if we misunderstand it, if we misinvest it, if we misplace it, we're in trouble. So we have to adjust ourselves to what it really is, not what we think it is. And so... The Apostle Paul, 
makes a beautiful scriptural Oreo cookie. He makes some really hard statements on both ends of 1 Corinthians 13 and puts a lot of ooey-gooey stuff in the middle. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 reads like this. This is the last verse of chapter 12. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Best of all. Context. They were having having great services. Gifts of the Holy Spirit were being used. Things seemed like they were good on the surface. And Paul had just listed these gifts and how they ought to operate, but they were missing the point. And Paul says, you should desire those things, but there's something that's better than that. If we, if we have nothing but good services and we don't have this thing of substance and power that literally makes the world go round, that literally causes the gospel to come to bear in the hearts and souls of people, then we've missed it. He says this is the best of all. The word best there, several translations say it's the greatest of all. I found it in the Bible dictionary, the word best there in the, the original Greek language that 1 Corinthians is written in says this, all surpassingness. I love that. I don't use that word very often in my normal everyday uh, you know, uh, conversations. All surpassingness. It's literally in the Bible dictionary. All surpassingness. It's beyond everything else. It's extraordinary. The Bible dictionary says an extraordinary thing. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus would use the same kind of words. He's approached by a lawyer, a guy versed in the scripture, and the guy says, "Listen, Jesus, what's the what's the greatest commandment?" And Jesus says this without batting an eye: "To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength." And the second one is like it: that you would love your neighbor like you love yourself. Everything hinges on these two commandments. They're the greatest. Sounds like Paul. Am I right? It's a powerful thing. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. The beginning of the next chapter reads like this. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives you. Again, talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially the ability to prophesy. Now, it's good to desire those things. We believe in those things. But they are not the point. They are not the goal. They're not the reason we gather. You know why we gather here? It's so Jesus' love will penetrate our souls and our hearts and our lives. He would radically change us. We could offer love back to him, and we could be used by him because of the motivation of heart and love to change somebody else's world and somebody else's life. That's the highest goal. The, The word there means to pursue as one would a calling. God's calling every one of us to something. The calling is to love. You may think you're supposed to be a preacher. You may think you're supposed to be a worship person. You may think you're supposed to be a missionary. You may think you're called to, to do something dramatic in a form of administration. You may think of all that sort of thing. But listen to me. That is not the highest calling. The highest calling is to love. You can go through the gyrations. You can go through all the effort. You can go through all the schooling. You can go through all the stuff. And if you do not love, if it's not motivated by love, you're missing the point altogether. Our why here is that we love God above everything else so he'll be honored by our lives. We believe in that. That is the highest goal. It means to strive to do something with an intense effort to a goal. The Bible tells us this is the most important thing. So if we're going to talk about adjusting our values, I suppose we should know a couple things. We should know what God 
or love devalues, and we should know what love values. That makes sense, doesn't it? Let me explain something to you. If we're going to have the same high value of, of love that God does, it's going to demand some changes for us. The reason Paul has to correct these people is because their worship had become very self-centered. All of them were striving to be known as spiritual giants. They wanted the service to point out how spiritual they were and how close they were to God. And so they would often operate in gifts and, and, and they were missing the point because they weren't motivated by love for God. They were motivated by love for people. They just wanted to be heard. Self, selfish and self-centered. God's plan for us in all things is that everything works for our good. The good things, the bad things, our service times, our ministry service to people, all of that is supposed to work for our good for one reason, that we be formed into the likeness and the image of God. Philippians 2, I just read to you, says we should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, right? And so these people were missing it. They were not there. God was displeased because what they were doing was conforming ministry to themselves. For their glory, for their desires, not as an instrument to, to form them to his image. A few years ago, we, we, had, we had experienced some, some pretty good growth. In fact, one Sunday morning, we had 384 people packed in this building in two services. And some people got frustrated. I heard things like this. Well, worship's way too short. I got to get my worship on. I want to go, since when did worship become about you? I mean, I enjoy worship. It's, I, I, I love to hear the, the, the psalms and the word, the truth of Scripture to penetrate my heart and mind. And there's something about that speaks to me. I love it. I do. But the point of worship is not for me to get my worship on. It's way too short. There are people dying going to hell, driving past this church on their way to somewhere, can't get in the parking lot. And you're worried about worshiping more than 20 minutes? Because you've got to get yours on? That's selfish. You're forming ministry to your own likings and what you want. And it's sad. How people get frustrated with me. Come to call me into my own office. Tell me about how frustrated they were because services weren't were like the way they liked them. Okay. I didn't, I didn't realize worship. Of course, if you listen to certain... Oh, boy. If you listen to certain voices, you might hear that worship's about you, and God's okay with that. I don't find that in the Bible any place. The Bible says he shared his glory with no person. Boy, I'm pretty intense today, aren't I? I've not been sick. I've not been well this week, and I'm doing okay, I think. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read pieces down through verse 7, because I want to highlight what, what love devalues. Starting with verse 1, if I could speak all the languages of earth, some translation would use the word tongues there, and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
Verse 4 says love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Verse 5 says it's not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, and love never gives up. So what does love devalue? First three verses give us a lot of insight there. Love devalues mere image or self-centeredness. In those lists, there in 1 Corinthians 13, is an allusion to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I come from a background. I'm a, I've been a charismatic Pentecostal guy most of my life, raised in those kinds of circles. Don't discount them. Appreciate God when he does something miraculous beyond my ability to comprehend or understand. But they are not the point. Allusions to these gifts were languages, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, he says in there. And that's one part of the body of Christ on one side. The other side is this part of the body of Christ that's big on mission and serving and different things like that. And so God purposely puts in here an allusion to those kind of justice slash mercy ministries that, that say this, even though I give all I can to the poor, there's a big push in certain parts that, that the ministry is all about what you can do for poor people and vulnerable people. And that's the, that's part of the, that is part of the gospel. It's not the whole thing, but it's part of it. Even if I go to the point of I'd sacrifice everything, even to martyrdom, for the most vulnerable and those around me. Man, that just sounds, you know, why would God be uptight about that? Because it became how spiritual I could be. How right I am. He said, if I don't have love, I've missed the point. These do not matter if I'm not motivated by love. Matthew 7 says these words. Matthew 7, 21 reads like this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's these next words? Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. Now, the next few lines seem like they might be doing what God wants them to do. Listen to these words. On judgment day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name. He said, but I will reply, I never knew you. The word knew there has an attachment to it of intimacy, has this idea of love connected to it because it's the same word used talking about a husband knowing his wife and conceiving and bearing children, the most intimate of intimate interactions, right? And God said, I, I don't know you. We don't share a love relationship with one another. You've done all kinds of things. Cool, but you missed the point. Scariest piece, in my, in my, in my opinion, that's the scariest two ver- three verses in the entire Bible right there. Right there. Because people think they're good because they're going through these gyrations, but they're not good. Let me tell you something. This idea of image and lack of love gets you no place. Without it, we're nothing, we have nothing, and we're irritating and we're noisy. Now, if we take all these things and make love the motivation of all of it, whatever spiritual gifts we get to use, how, how we minister to poor people, even, even, even going off and sacrificing our whole lives, and we attach the love as the core, the, the core of it, the, the heart of it, the, the middle of it, everything about it, then suddenly it becomes a beautiful thing. Without it, it's just nothing. It's noisy. It's irritating. The purpose of us being together, two, two, two services ago, two Sundays ago, I talked about Hebrews 10, 25, that we're called together to do something, right? To provoke one another, instigate one another to love and to good works. Love and good works. 
It's not love or good works. It's not just good works. It's love and good works. That's why we get to be together. And I hope in kind of a way right now, I'm irritating some of you. I hope I'm instigating something. I hope, I hope inside of you there's something like, something like, ooh, that hurts, but that's right. I hope, I hope that something, mm, I'm provoking you a little bit. I want you to see things the way the Bible sees them. I want you to understand things the way Jesus looks at them. I want, I want the core of all that you are to value what God values. So what else does God value? What else does God devalue? What does love devalue? Love devalues a jealous attitude. The word written there in 1 Corinthians 13 about jealousy is the word uh, zelu. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but it means to covet earnestly, to desire, to affect, to desire, to envy. If you say you love and you're ate up with jealousy, you're not loving. Impossible. Can't happen. Not going to do it. If you're jealous of something, somebody else gets to be used by God, you're missing it. If you're jealous because somebody else receives a blessing, you're not loving. If envy and desire so ravage your life, you got to have, 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 and get, 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 you're, you're not, that's, that's not love. You may have a form of God. You might show up to church. You might give in the tithes and offerings every time the pastor dies. You might do all of that. But if, you, if there's something in you that every time somebody else gets something, you feel like you're being left on the outside and your heart, you're missing it. What else does God love devalue? A boastful attitude. This word here means to vaunt oneself, to be vainglorious, to be a braggart. If every time you enter a conversation, you start going through the list of everything you've done, that's not love. If you start a conversation, well, how are you? And then all of a sudden, before you get back to it, before they have a chance even to answer that question, you're talking about yourself, that's not love. We can't value boasting if love is. What, what about a prideful attitude love devalues? This means to puff up or blow up, to be arrogant, to be inflated. No place for that in the kingdom of God. There's a place for confidence and assurance in the things of God, but there's no place for pride and arrogance. Athletes frustrate me when it comes to that. Politicians frustrate me when it comes to that. Everyday people frustrate me when it comes to those kinds of things. Because we're all made from dust. Every one of us made in the image of God, but we're not him. A rude attitude. This word means to behave indecently, to act improperly, to be rude, behave disgracefully or dishonorably. Listen to these words. Husbands, you know why your wife's trying to skirt around Valentine's Day dinner with you? Huh. Because sometimes you're rude. And you do things in public that disgrace her. <laughs> Trying to figure out why she's trying to skirt around that. You claim to love her, but you do things on purpose out in public, either by words you say or actions you take that bring dishonor and disgrace. Who'd want to? You know, wives, sometimes husbands aren't, aren't, aren't willing to, to, to seem like they're working all the time. You know why? Because you, you can't find anything good that they've done, and you dishonor them constantly, and you, you take great joy in making sure other people know about that. That's not love. This is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Oh, Aaron just went there. Yeah, I did. A demanding attitude. You get that my way or the highway attitude? You're not loving. I don't care how good of a dad you think you are. You better all straighten up. Matt right. Get on down the road. 
Man. How about an irritable attitude? You know the one. Doesn't take anything to set you off. Kid looks at you cross-eyed at the house, and you come home from a long day at work, and you lose your mind. You come home, and that same glass is sitting on the same end table. You thought somebody would have the the ability to pick it up and put it in the dishwasher. As soon as you walk in the door, right? It would be okay if it was just one time, but it's every time. Am I right? Oh, boy, man. Wish I'd have stayed home from church today. Didn't know Aaron was going to be in that kind of mood. (laughs) Just saying. It's real. Huh? How about an unforgiving attitude? Love keeps no records of wrongs. So you have a laundry list. And every time somebody miscues, you remind of all the other miscues they've had. Kept in a record. The, the, the word here, check this out. It means to, to, to reason, to ponder, to think about, to keep mental records, to bear in mind, to hold a view, to have an opinion, to charge to an account, to keep records of debits and credits. I'm doing this. They're doing that. I'm obviously better than they are. They don't love me like I love them. Oh, boy. Hmm. An unjust attitude. The Bible talks about this, that love devalues that because it's rejoicing about injustice. Some of the things we want to laugh at are enthusiasm about people participating in wickedness. That's not love. Laugh and cackle and giggle at Netflix or whatever. Claim to love Jesus, love our kids, love other people, and we'll laugh at things that nobody even even ought to mention. Am I right? Oh, man. See, you guys, I know. Well, let's just let's go home. I mean, Aaron's getting too tough. Let's just get out. How about a quitting attitude? Love devalues a quitting attitude. Some of you said you loved people. And when the going got tough, you gave up. That wasn't love. Here's what I figure. I used to teach this to premarital couples. Love gives of self at the expense of self to benefit another. Lust takes from another for the benefit of self. And when the well went dry, you left. They couldn't, they, things, things went difficult financially, things went bad physically, things went crazy, whatever, and all of a sudden the well was dry and you quit. That wasn't love, that was lust. And you left a, you left a pile of shrapnel behind you because kids are now tore up, shredded. Trying to sort things out. Can't make sense of God because they don't because their, their their parents forgot what love was supposed to be about. Because they watched too much. I got accused of being an old man the other day. Sitting with some premarital couples talking about, you know, chick flick movies, and I said something about sleepless in Seattle, and they all laughed at me. <laughs> I'm old, got gray hair. Huh? I almost remember the moon landing, you know what I mean? Huh? And we quit, we give up too soon. We do. God's high value of love demands that we adjust our values. So what does love value? Let's reread 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 and get a a gauge on it. Verse 4 says, love is patient and kind. It keeps no record of being wrong. Verse 6 says, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Verse 7 says, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endures through every circumstance. So what does love value? Love values patience. Patience. 
Can I say something to you, young couples? Newly single people? If it's not patient, it ain't love. Yeah, Aaron said that. For back to the love lust thing a minute ago. Love is patient. First thing, first, first descriptive word God gives it, patience. Love is patient. This word means to be to exhibit internal and external control in difficult circumstances, to be long-suffering, to delay in or be slow in. That's the idea of patience. What we see about love in our culture is anything but patient. You got to respond now, do it now. You got this amount of time, better have at it. You might, they might get away. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, listen, if they get away, they didn't love you anyway. Oh, that's a good rhyme. Somebody should, somebody should tweet that. Huh? Love is patient. It endures through things. It's long-suffering. That's why love is patient. Love, 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 love has external and internal controls through difficult circumstances. That's why it's not irritable. It's patient. Love is kind. This idea of kindness means to show mercy. Mercy comes hard for us. Mercy is difficult for us, but, but love shows mercy. Love does kind things just because love is, not because anybody else is. You know what I mean? That's why that record of being wrong things doesn't come into play with love, because love will just do things because love wants to love, not because love's trying to keep a tally sheet. Love is kind. Love values forgiveness. It keeps no record of wrong. Listen to these words from Proverbs 17, 9. You want to know why love in your friendships is evaporated? You want to know why love in your marriage is evaporated? You know why, why love among your church friends and families evaporated? Listen to Proverbs 17, 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. But dwelling on it separates close friends. Love prospers in a place where forgiveness rules and reigns. Love has a hard time growing in a place where unforgiveness is the rule of the day. Bitterness rules every moment, every second. Love cannot grow there. Love is disabled there. You can't love values forgiveness. And let's truly be honest with each other, people. The only way we have access to God right now is because he chose to forgive us even when we didn't deserve it. The scriptures would even tell us we were his enemies and he still died for us. So what's your beef? Maybe somebody said something snide to you. Maybe they, they treated you inappropriately. But I, I, most of the people you're really frustrated with, you wouldn't consider them enemies. And you still won't forgive them. Hmm. Love rejoices when truth wins out. So love values truth. The Greek word here is aletheia. aletheia. It refers to the gospel message itself. And it's, it, it contrasts to unrighteousness. Love rejoices in truth because the gospel demonstrates God's love. What I just said. Love rejoices in truth. Not hiding things from one another. Love rejoices in moments where, 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 where the gospel is propagated. There's a chance for the gospel to take root. Love, love rejoices in a place where a husband can get real and honest with his wife. Where, where a parents can get real and honest with their kids. Where, where brothers and sisters can, can be real and honest and open and, and share with one another and, and encourage one another and provoke one another even when it's necessary. Speaking truth in love. But sadly, most of our lives are missing that. We think we're operating in love when we don't tell people the truth because our culture's told us that. Well, if you really love them, you wouldn't say that. No, because I love them, I'd say something. 
I see them skidding off the road, and I'm going to do something to put a guardrail in the way. That's love. Letting them slide off the road isn't love. Love rejoices in truth. That doesn't mean you beat people on the head with the Bible. That, that means you speak honestly and openly. The Bible, Jesus would sit beside a lady who had a, had a long rap sheet in John 4, had a list of things she had done wrong, and Jesus looked at her and says, Father's seeking out people who would worship him in spirit and in truth. That's who God's looking for. You know why? She was exposing her heart to Jesus. Truth was becoming unopened. Even though her life was a wreck, there was something in here that was going, I'm open to the truth. I want to hear honest assessment of where my life is. I want, to, I want my life to be different tomorrow. And the gospel opened up to her right there in that moment because you shared the truth with her, not because you skirted around it. Hmm. Love rejoices and values and endurance. It never gives up. It endures everything. It, this word here means to put up with an annoy, any annoyance or difficulty. Is that crazy? That's why love's not irritable. It puts up with any annoyance. Any. Love puts up with any difficulty. The Bible tells us these words, man, in Isaiah 43. It says, God says, I, I've called you by your name. You are mine. And you will go through deep waters. But I'll be with you. You will run through the fire, but I'll be there. I am your God. Boy, that's beautiful. See, that's what God like. Love is, in fact, in two places in 1 John, it says this, these simple words. God is love. You know what I've been talking about all morning? I've been talking about what God values and what God devalues. Are these exhaustive lists? No, there's the ones God chose to give us in 1 Corinthians 13. Endurance. Love values endurance. Love values overcoming. Love values those who can put up with annoyances and difficulties. Love never loses faith. The idea here is not just faith in the form of belief. It's the idea of faithfulness attached to it. Love never loses faithfulness. Love never backs up on what it says it's going to do. It operates in and through and by faith, and therefore fullness of faith comes into the life of a person who loves God and loves others. Some of us have set claim to have loved and backed up on faithfulness. There's grace for all of this. Listen to me, people. God's love is profound. We sing a song around here that says, if, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And what it means, I've, read these, these, I've been reading these things for the last couple of weeks, and every time I have to go, ouch. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12, these words, God corrects those he loves. If he doesn't correct you, he doesn't love you. In fact, it says you're illegitimate. And so if you feel the ouch right now, this is not a condemnatory moment. This is the Father God going, come closer to me. I love you. I have grace for you. I know you've missed it. I know you've not been faithful. I know you've lost heart. I know you've lost faith. I know you've been irritable. I know you've been rude. I know you've acted indecently. I know that. I know you've been unforgiving. I know that. I love you anyway. And today is the day that I want to get us back on the same page. That's what he's saying right now. Because love is always hopeful. Love values hope. Hope is this, favorable and confident expectation of what lies ahead. Love believes there's a better day ahead for us, even when today looks as awful as it can possibly be. Love says, listen, there's a day coming. 
And it might be on this side, but it might be on the other side. Nonetheless, that day is coming. And I have hope in that. Hope grows. Hope sustains us. Hope moves us. See, we have to place high value on hope, not, not to dish it away. Why are you hoping for all that? Don't you know what the doctor said? Don't you know what that, that, that man did to you? Don't you know that? And wait, because I believe that God says the best days are ahead, not behind. Love's a thermometer. John 13, 34 and 35 read like this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Those are these next words. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Here's, this is the temperature gauge. Not the activities, not the rule books, not the tithing record, not any of that. The, 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 the thermometer of a spiritual life is the depth of love we have for God and the depth of love we show to, to one another and the, de- and, and the ability to love others on the outside looking in. Those are the three greatest commandments. This is the new one. The first two are right. Love God, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that means you at least do for them what you do for you. But Jesus says here, looking at people who are believers, he says, love one another as I have loved you. That means sacrificially. So there's three degrees of love he's mentioning are the greatest commandments. Love God with everything. Love anybody just the way you love yourself, but love other brothers the way I have loved you sacrificially. Woo! Woo! Man. In order to love, honor God, we must love. We must value what love values. We must devalue what, de- what, he, what God devalues. No space for rudeness. No space for bitterness. No space for unforgiveness. No space for, 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 for irritability. No space for, for keeping records of wrong. No space for giving up. No space for... We've got to value the ideas of patience and kindness and forgiveness and, and truth. We've got, we got to value endurance We have to value all those things we just talked about. God's high value of love demands that we adjust our values for those things. What what if we held the same regard for love and God as the scriptures do? What if we did that? What if if us sitting, just just us in this room? What what would happen? How, how How would our home change? How would our relationships change? How would our how would our workplaces change? How how would our community around us change? Just be by us valuing what we just find here in first, the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians 13. What if we made love our highest goal? What if we said it was the greatest? Contrary to popular belief, Muhammad Ali is not the greatest. The greatest, the Bible I was reading from says this, love is the greatest. That's the subheading at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is the greatest. Let me ask you a question. Where's, where's your love quotient? Where is it? When you sit and think about the things that are described here in 1 Corinthians 13, where, where are you? See, we, in order for us to come near to God, we have to have an idea of where we are. We have to have an idea of what to throw at his feet. We have to have an idea of, the Bible says this, if we confess our sin... He's faithful and just, forgives our sin, and cleanse us of every bit of unrighteousness, everything that's unlike him. So we've got we to get an honest sense. We just can't come to church and just go, yeah, it was a good message. He was pretty fired up. He sweated. He spit a lot. He really meant that. that was, hey, was, he was serious. 
We'll talk about next week if love does something, it causes us to look into a mirror. Albeit we look now darkly, we can't see everything as clearly as we need to, but love will cause us to grow up. You've come back in a couple weeks to get that one. Okay. Love, love, love puts us in a spot. Let me ask you do, you, do you value what love values? Or do you value what love devalues? Ooh. Didn't want to initially ask that question. What, what does your life look like if your values match up to love's values? What, what happens? What changes? What changes at home? What changes at work? How does your home change? How does, how does your extended family change? How does your interaction with God's family change if you value what God values? Yeah, just how, how does your interaction with the rest of the world change? Man. There's this idea of repentance. It's not a popular message much anymore. Repentance means to turn around, go another direction. And without repentance, repentance is an ongoing ethic for a person who's a follower of Christ. Here's why. Because we're, we, we all haven't attained Christ-likeness yet. There are still portions of our life that are yet unchristlike. We've made a commitment to Christ. We've come to an altar. We've signed a card somewhere. We've, we've prayed a prayer, and yet we've started the process, but the process is far from over. And the only way we keep being shaped into the likeness image of Christ is to, to, to turn around from the things that grab our hearts, those dark corners we don't want to talk about, don't want anybody to know about, and we confess before God and those who can help us keep walking this idea that I'm weak in this particular area. There are sins that we call sins of commission. I mean, just, these are the things I do, the things I commit. So I, maybe some of you are sitting today and you're going, I have been rude. And I am irritable. Yes, yes. That, and I am unforgiving. And, 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 and I haven't endured. I've not been, there are things I have done. I've committed certain, certain things. For those of you sitting here right now, you're on the other side of the equation because there are sins of things we call sins of omission. Things I knew to do and didn't do. So I knew to forgive and I didn't. I knew not to give up, but I did anyway. I, I, I knew I should have been patient. Just one of those days. I knew I, I should have offered some kindness, but I just didn't. I omitted that part of the gospel. I knew I should have spoke truth to my brother for his life and his family skidded off the road and I just didn't do it. I, and we're all probably, if we'd all seriously be honest right here, right now, we'd all go, dude, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Jesus, we don't stand here because because we got it right. We're not sitting here, Jesus, because we're holy and got everything together. God, we're sitting here quite the opposite because we need you. We need your grace. We need your help. We need your forgiveness. God, we need your love to dramatically change us. And so, God, as we think about what we've committed, God, I pray, Father, we would make a note of those things, either mentally or actual physically, Lord, and 
God, I pray some of us would go home today and we'd sit with our spouses or our kids or our, our closest of friends and, and speak real honest assessments of ourselves and ask them to give real honest, respond to real honest questions. I pray, God, we'd be willing to say, I've been rude lately, haven't I? I've been hanging something over your head, haven't I? You know it, I know it. I pray we'd have conversations today around our lunch tables and in our cars on the way home that talk about our lack of patience and we'd be honest with one another about that. God, I pray, Father, that, God, we, we come near to you. You are faithful. God, you never leave us. You never forsake us. And for that, we are so grateful and thankful. God, because we would have ditched us a long time ago that you haven't. And you tell us if we confess our sins to you, you'll, you'll, you'll forgive us and you'll cleanse of all righteousness, God. If we confess our faults one to the other, you will bring healing to our lives and our prayers become effective and, and, and powerful, Jesus, in that moment. And so, God, today, God, all around church triumphant, God, I pray, God, we would be honest about our love quotient. God, we value love the way you value it. I pray, Father God, we, we, we'd let you do business with us and we'd be willing to do business with one another. And the Lord Jesus, you'd reign supreme over all of it. God, you're the standard. You're the plumb line. You loved much to the point of dying. And so, God, teach us. Teach us to love like that. Help us to love like that. Empower us to love like that. Let it not all be show and clanging cymbals and loudness. God, let it be substance and powerful because our actions and our motivation are synonymous with one with the other. God, we pray for that. God, every person we prayed for earlier, God, who, who's in need of healing and touch, God, we pray you would absolutely bring healing and strength and life to them. Thank you for testimonies already in this room, God, of your ability to heal and to touch. And God, we expect more because you're just that good. Not because we're righteous enough, not because we're holy enough, just because you're good enough. That's it, Jesus. Lord, we love you. And we bless you. And we honor you. It's in the great and strong and awesome name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.